You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. My text this morning is an unlikely one, perhaps, uh, but I think it's very appropriate for the season. It comes out of Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And I'm reading this from what's known as the First Nation Version, which is the Native American translation. It says this, Think about yourselves in the same way Jesus thought about himself. Even though he has always been the same as the Great Spirit and shared everything equally with him, He did not even think of holding on to this in a selfish way. Instead, he emptied himself, became nothing, and gave up all that he had. Then, having been born as a human being, he took upon himself the lowly form of a servant. As a true human being, he lowered himself even more by following the guidance of the Great Spirit, even when death was waiting for him at the end of the trail, even death on a tree, the cross, the word of the Lord. We never think of this as a Christmas passage, do we? (laughs) Uh, My guess is you've never heard a Christmas sermon on this one before because it doesn't come from one of the nativity stories out of Matthew or Luke, right? But it is about the incarnation, meaning it's about this idea of God becoming flesh, God becoming human, and what that might mean. Interestingly, Paul never mentions the nativity story in any of his letters. He never mentions the virgin birth or the manger scene, or Bethlehem. He never mentions Mary or Joseph, no mention of Jesus's parents. Paul never mentions actually anything about Jesus's early life. It's as if either he wasn't aware of it, or he didn't think it was all that important to instruct his his churches, which he pastored, or guided, or mentored. Um, He didn't think it was either, you know, important to mention, or he never heard of it. We don't know. It's, It's just absent. But he does talk about the incarnation, this idea of God becoming flesh, God being born into this life, this world, as one of us, and not just one of us, but one of the underclass, the lowest among us. And for Paul, it meant that Jesus, though he was in some way one with God, he emptied himself of all attributes that we usually ascribe to deity, power, glory, immortality. He emptied himself of all that stuff and thereby became one of us, and not just one of us, but again, one one of the lowliest people possible. He became a peasant nobody, a member of the underclass, we would say, one of the downtrodden, one of the oppressed. A man of sufferings, we're told. One of the afflicted. But he also became mortal and finite. He embraced the human condition completely, we're told, even embracing death itself, even death on the cross. 
which is, of course, the ultimate humiliation to be crucified, the ultimate degradation, the ultimate humiliation in the ancient world, or at least in the Roman world, the ultimate way of, of lowering oneself and emptying oneself of everything. And we're told by Paul here in this passage that we are to have, if this is even possible, we are to have the same mind as Christ in these matters, that we are to follow him in this act of self-emptying and profound humility by becoming a, a so-called nothing and a nobody, emptying ourselves and thereby embracing this finite, temporal, mortal human life as a way of becoming Christ-like ourselves, as a way of becoming God-like. That's an amazing idea, that we become God-like, Christ-like, by embracing our finitude, our mortality, this life, this world, as it really is and all of its troubles. We become God-like by doing so, Paul is saying. There is something divine about this. We find a similar idea in Buddhism, actually, in what is called the five remembrances, which are five truths or five facts of life that the Buddha taught his disciples to contemplate regularly. And I have them here this morning for you to contemplate here up on the screen. Wait for it. <laughs> there they are. Again, these are Buddhist. This is a, this is a, a Buddhist... I guess, teaching, you could say. I am of the nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old. I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no way to escape having ill health. Number three, I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. Number four, all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. And then number five, my actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground on which I stand. Buddhist teaching holds that by contemplating these five truths regularly, one can let go of anxiety. One can let go of harmful and self-destructive ideas and behaviors and find instead some serenity. In other words, one can find life through the contemplation of death. One can find life through the embrace of death, through the embrace of finitude and suffering as Christ did, and actually as the Buddha did which is to say that it is our inability to meditate on death and accept death that is perhaps the greatest obstacle to living our best life, if you will. And we find this idea, again, not just in Buddhism, but within many of the world's great spiritual and philosophical traditions, including, of course, Christianity, including, of course, the text before us this morning in the second chapter of Philippians. We don't think of Advent as a time to contemplate and meditate on death, right? We're, we're told that's what Lent and Good Friday are for. <laughs> but Advent is a time for this too. It's, it's funny or it's interesting. In, in 19th century Victorian era 
England, Christmas season was a time to actually tell ghost stories. We, we think that's for Halloween, but actually traditionally, in Victorian era England, Christmas time was a time to tell ghost, ghost stories. And we have a great example of that in the Charles Dickens classic, right? A Christmas Carol. Traditionally, Christmas was a time to tell ghost stories and to contemplate death. And when you think about it, it makes sense. Then the nativity story is about Jesus's future death as much as it is about his birth, because birth and death are inextricably tied together, are they not? To be born is to die. And to die means that you had to be born, right? Birth and death are like two sides of the same coin that we call life. Everybody sees it on a tombstone, right? You have the, the date the person was born and the, and the date they died. In the middle, there's a hyphen. And that hyphen is your life. But to be born is to die, and to die is to be born. And the, the nativity story, Jesus' story of being born into this world is also about his death. Birth and death are just two sides of the same coin we call life. And maybe that doesn't have to be a depressing thing, I'm saying. Maybe understanding that and meditating on that, making peace with that as best as possible. I don't think we ever completely make peace with it. But maybe making peace with that as best as possible can actually be something liberating and life-giving and something that makes us enjoy life more and love life more. Today's theme is love, and I want to talk about what it means to love life in the face of death, if we may. I want to suggest today that this too, maybe, is the meaning of the nativity and the incarnation, this idea that God took on our mortal human form so that we might see our mortal human form as divine. Let me say that again. God took on our mortal human form so that we might see our mortal human form, this body, as divine so that we might see this temporal and finite world as divine. And maybe this, too, is an understanding of the resurrection and everlasting life. Not that we will live forever, but that we can experience a kind of limitless life now by emptying ourselves, giving ourselves completely over to love, the love of life and the love of others, the way Christ did. Nothing against the afterlife. Nothing against in believing in the afterlife. I hold some hope in that too. But maybe the Christian idea of resurrection and everlasting life has more to do with this life, this world, the incarnation, than the next one, the next life, the next world. Perhaps this is what being born again and experiencing life everlasting is really all about. Maybe it's not about experiencing infinite time, but infinite depth. In other words, maybe we can experience a sense of the infinite, a sense of the eternal, in a single moment in time, here and now, where we give ourselves completely over to love. The love of life and the love of others which I think are always intertwined 
to really love life is to love others, and to really love others is to love life itself. In such a moment of love, I think we empty ourselves of all ego and become fully aware of our connection to everything and everyone. And maybe such an experience is a kind of everlasting life. Maybe everlasting life is not about infinite time, but infinite depth in this life, in this world, in this body, here and now, if only but for a moment. Many sages, many mystics over the centuries seem to think so. And I really like the way one mystic and sage puts it named Don Cupid, who's an Anglican priest I really like. And he was inspired by this passage in Philippians 2. He believes there's something divine about embracing mortality and finitude. He believes there's something life-giving, in fact, about death. He says this, the sun in the sky symbolizes the religious ideal of a full synthesis of death and life because the thermonuclear burning, which is the sun's living, is also and identically its dying. The sun's very existence is a unity of vitality and mortality. It burns and it burns itself out. It expends itself gloriously. It lives not by frugally saving away, but by recklessly giving itself away. End quote. In other words, the sun's light and heat are what gives life to all things on earth, including us. And yet this life-giving expenditure is also the very means of the sun's death. The sun will eventually burn out. <laughs> not for another few billion years or so. But like all things, it too will die. But it will do so by first generously and gloriously pouring itself out and giving life to everything around it. And this is a great metaphor for life and for us, a very deep spiritual insight. Life is a glorious expenditure unto death. Life is a glorious expenditure unto death. All life is a kind of dying life, we would say, or Cupid would say. There is no non-dying life to be found on earth or in the cosmos, at least not that we're aware of yet. This too is the meaning of Advent, the meaning of a God who was born to die. The meaning of a God who emptied himself of all things and became not just a mortal human being, but a man for others. This is Christ, a man for others, a man who laid his life down for others. The ultimate act of love, we would say. Greater love has no one than this, the gospel says, than one who would lay his life down for others. In Christ, God pours himself out into this world. God pours himself out onto the earth, into this life. He empties himself out into the world as a glorious expenditure unto death. And in this way shows us the path to life. This is life in Christ. I'm reminded of Jesus's famous remarks about the lilies of the field from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus remarks how they're here today and gone tomorrow, these beautiful flowers. 
out in the meadow, right? They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And yet their beauty surpasses that of even King Solomon in all his regalia. Jesus was saying that we are like the lilies of the field, that we are beautiful in our finitude and temporality, we're, and yet we're here today and gone tomorrow. That the fragile nature of our existence doesn't detract from our beauty one iota or the value or the meaning of our lives. Jesus, I think, was saying that we should embrace this, embrace life this way, which is also a way of embracing death, our finitude, our fragility. We should take our cues from the lilies of the field and the sun in the sky. And in this way, learn to embrace this mortal life as beautiful and divine and give it all we got because so. We should love and live passionately for this reason. Love and live passionately. Make the most of the time that we have. The time is short. And in this way, we will have the mind of Christ and shine like lights in this world. As we shift towards communion today, I want us to meditate again on the five remembrances. Bob, would you put those back up on the screen for us? Thank you. And I think this is an appropriate thing for us to meditate on as we partake in the Lord's Supper. Because what is the Lord's Supper? But the body and blood of Jesus of Nazareth, his corpse, symbols of his death, his mortality, his finitude, his, his humanity. To partake in the Lord's Supper, therefore, is to meditate on his death and its meaning for us, which I think is to say it is to meditate on our own death, our own mortality, and God's presence with us in that. God's presence with us in our mortality, in our sufferings, in our finitude. Perhaps that's the deepest meaning of the Lord's Supper. God meets us in our sufferings. God meets us in our mortality in our temporality, in our finitude. Let us meditate on that now as we receive the Lord's Supper. And for those of you who are new here, the way that we partake in this is we serve each other. You stay there in the pews and we pass out its grape juice and it's a gluten-free cracker. You take the cracker, you dip it in the cup, you receive it, and then you serve the person next to you. We believe this is a meaningful way to partake in the Lord's Supper because it reinforces this idea that we are to be Christ to each other and to serve each other. And it's not about me, the pastor, doing all that for us. It's about you doing it, right? Participating in it. This table is open and welcome to all who wish to par participate. You don't have to. It is gluten-free. It is alcohol-free. Be blessed now in this. Each episode of The Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion.
Hey, beautiful guys. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So every week here at Central, we have a little discussion portion at the end of our service where you get an opportunity to share your thoughts, raise questions, file complaints, you know, those kinds of things. Anything goes, I get at this moment. Um, sometimes I have a discussion question, but today I do not. Um, I guess I could ask, you know, do you ever contemplate death and is it liberating? <laughs> It's kind of a macabre, I don't know, not macabre, but it can be sort of, I don't know, kind of a downer for a Sunday morning, maybe, I don't know, but um, I just want to give folks the opportunity to respond to anything that I said or have any questions or uh, I'd love to hear any experiences you have with meditation or contemplation and how that's been a helpful spiritual practice maybe for some of you, but you know, if nobody's got anything, we can just go have the picnic too, um, but yeah, any, anybody this morning um, have anything they want to say. Yeah, Dan, let me give you this mic. I really like those uh, Buddhist remembrances. That was really interesting, um, uh, particularly about growing old. And I think that for myself, you know, I'm pretty young and I think about uh, I'm not as quite as young as I used to be. And I live in a culture that like every oh, another year older, like and I feel like when you hit these milestones in your life, like because I was thinking the other day, like, oh, when I'm 40 and then. And then, you know, then I'll wake up and then I'll be 50. And it's like, oh, this is kind of like a negative thing. And, uh, <laughs> but I wish that, you know, maybe there's a different way that we could look at aging. And this is maybe not directly related to what you were talking about, but <laughs> it got me thinking about, you know, is there a way that we can look at, you know, life and death and, and no one wants to die, but just at least be more comfortable with the process of living your life and the natural conclusion of it and it's a process and you're living in the the hyphen in between which i think is a great line i really like that uh, your life is the hyphen between the your your birth and your death date um but i think that we would be happier sometimes if we didn't keep track of how old we are <laughs> because you know you'll have like a midlife crisis and it's like would you know if you knew that you were that age like is there really a, that big of a difference between you know the year between you know 39 and 40 or 49 and 50 like, you know there's not really anything but uh it makes you think about it and uh, maybe we can have a different relationship with that the way we view our aging um i don't know uh, it, i mean it's 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 really good thoughts and it's hard though i mean it's, it's hard to make ourselves comfortable with death and you know the mystery of what comes next because we don't know and the potential of non-existence it's hard to kind of grapple with that right and those five remembrances can be helpful not just at i guess thinking about or contemplating death or making peace with it but also you'll notice like bob would you put maybe that it up again um the five remembrances the last one is more the last two are really just about embracing change and just you know basically like you know, number five is about how our actions are our only true belong belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my my actions. It's meant to kind of ground us in the world in this life, and and you know, in a, in a sense, the first three are about kind of embracing death itself or making peace with that, and the last two are about embracing change and the nature of life itself, and and hopefully living better as a result. And so, yeah, there is that kind of. It's about both. It's about life. Well, you know, it's about death. Yeah. But thank you. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Anybody else have any remarks today? Yeah, Emily. 
you are. Um, it sort of makes me think about like, I've spent 10 years sort of getting sicker and sicker and nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And I was gaining weight and I was brain fog and dexterity. And I mean, it was the whole thing that was keeping me from working. And um, now that I feel better, I'm still, you know, it's an excuse for why I didn't have a career, why I don't, because I couldn't work for five years. Um, I make excuses to myself and people for, gaining you know 50 or 60 pounds and it's really hard to get rid of but it's these are all these things that at the end of the day don't really matter but I spend a lot of my time thinking about it or making excuses for it or you know when really at the end of the day is you are your actions you are like who you are to people that's who you are so that's what I got. That's okay. Kind of yeah. Cool. Awesome. And thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Anybody else this morning? Yeah. Leanne, you pass that over to her. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, also commenting on what Dan was bringing up. I've been trying to um, think about this as having uh, in-laws dealing with health issues and parents and such aging, like also reframing aging as well. Like, what if we thought of it as an exchange as opposed to a loss? Because I feel like as you get older, it's like, oh, I lose this, I lose this, I lose this. And I know, you know, I'm still relatively young, so I'm not trying to be hard on anyone who's, you know, commenting on the process of aging. Um, <laughs> and I understand, like, I, it, it will be difficult, of course, but what if we reframed how we saw it? Like, even just, you know... <laughs> seeing more lines under your eyes than maybe you were when you were 20 again different still young but it's like what if that's not what if it's like oh I've gained lines I mean but I've also like lost bad patterns of behavior and negative things so it's not just like you're losing things and gaining other things you're also gaining some things and losing other things in a positive way so maybe it's just an exchange. It's not a net loss. Um, I don't know. I that's think that's, helped me. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. To think of it like that. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And when you're talking about lines on your face, sometimes I look at myself in the mirror at 46. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that does look like a 46 year old guy's face. <laughs> Last night I'm putting Lucy in, in the car, my five-year-old and buckling her and you know, the dome lights on and it's like on me. And she looks at me, she's like, dad, you look old. I'm like, Merry Christmas to you too, Lucy. Thanks. You have moments like that as a parent. Kids are honest. Yeah. Dad, you look old. Yeah. Okay. See, see what you look like at 46 sister. Anyway, whatever. All right. Anybody else this morning? Yeah. Oh, cool. Anna. Thanks, Leanne. Just with these uh, five remembrances, it's interesting how little is really in our control. And I definitely am someone who likes to control things or work towards things for myself or take care of others and just I'm continuing to learn that there's a lot of freedom in letting go of the control and hopefully continue working with that. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you said it right. Thank you, yeah. 
Anybody else? Okay, well, it's 11.08. Thanks for being here today. Uh, Desiree, were you raising your hand? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so sensitive to any hand movement. Um, but yeah, thanks for being here, everybody. Remember, we do have a Christmas Eve service in here, uh, 5 p.m. on Saturday, candlelight. It's beautiful. It's an annual tradition. Um, but yeah, picnic right after service. If you want to join us from that for that, on a, we're going to probably stop by McDonald's and get some lunch and just go over there. Classic. Um, but uh, God bless you all. And let's um, let's finish as we always do by saying our benediction. There, if you won't. Anna, can I get the mic from you? All right. Let's say this together now. As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. God bless you. Thank you for being here, and thank you to all of you who joined us via Zoom online. Merry Christmas. Mm -hmm.